Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Are you guys ready? Remember, I am Italian and Jewish, raised Christian. I can speak really fast and get a lot across in a short amount of time. You have to at an Italian Jewish dinner table, okay? The title of my message today is called, When Sparks Fly, Keep Fighting. <laughs> Just take a deep breath. There's going to be a lot today, but it's going to be real practical, and I really believe God wants to speak to us this morning. So, when sparks fly, keep fighting. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Iron sharpening iron is the picture God gave us for friendship. Excuse me? Do we not have picture of angel wings and lollipops? What do you mean? I picture two swords clanging and sparks flying. Metal on metal, iron sharpening iron? What kind of friendships are these? How are we sharpening one another if sparks fly like that? And yet that was the picture that God gave us for relationships and connections and friendship. And I kind of had this thought, like it sounds really nice, but when we apply the word of God and we really connect with one another, sparks will fly. And I thought this, if there's never a point of contention, then how deep is the connection? If there's never any kind of fight in there, if there's not any kind of disagreement, if there's not some grit, is it a relationship? Is it a true connection? An acquaintance, knowing someone, going to parties and celebrations and weddings are nice, but you don't know a person from that. Ever been in the deepest, darkest part of somebody's life story? Been there for them and that friendship, let me tell you, that will, that will connect you. In fact, I was speaking with a counselor one time and he said this. He said, more people have a deeper relationship and form a deeper bond from the connection point of pain than joy. Now, that's a fascinating concept. But it's true when you think about it. When someone has a, a death in the family and you're there at the funeral and you're, you, you, you're with them and they're leaning on you and you're ministering to them, I'm telling you, that relationship begins to go deep. It's more than cheersing at all the joyous occasions, though we need to. My parents um, are pastors and my dad, I remember telling me, he said, Stacy in ministry, go to more funerals and less weddings. And he goes, don't get me wrong, go to all the weddings, but be there for people in the hard times. There's a connection point that happens when there's a little bit of a struggle and we keep fighting and we get to the other side. That is a significant relationship. Uh, and I kind of know this to be true. Like, have, because years ago, I was, um, when I was in high school, <laughs> I was, my last two years of high school, I went to a Christian boarding school in Ecuador. Long story. Um, <laughs> and um, when I was there, I was in a dorm, and we had dorm kind of, they were called like dorm parents, and they kind of oversaw the kids that were there. 
And when I went, they had a transition of dorm parents really quickly. And they put in these new dorm parents who my parents hadn't met. They met the previous ones and really liked them. So people kind of trusted that these were good people. And they were the people that was going to oversee me while, while I was there. And immediately when I moved into the dorm, it was the oddest thing. I'm like, this family is so weird. There were so many odd things about this family. But the oddest thing of it all was they were like, oh, um, just so you know, our family, um, we don't fight. We don't ever fight. The brother and the sister, they don't fight. I'm from a Jewish-Italian family. (laughs) I do not know what you speak of. And I'm like, oh, fascinating. And i got to tell you this, that facade of perfection, that non-reality, that very weird existence, I watched people that were more robotic than they were relational. And in fact, as the months went on, and if you ever heard me speak uh, one time at Cherish, I told the full story, but, 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 but they really... Uh, came into that place and they, they made it horrible for, for us kids. And they, um, they wound up really going quite crazy. In fact, um, the old dorm parents finally wound up coming back because kind of they felt so bad at what happened. But when they realized that this family wasn't all that it was cracked up to be, they pulled their, their um, uh, background check. Um, do you know that this family turned out to be certified psychopaths? Yeah. trying to pretend to be perfect, psychopath. I'm like, come on, let's get real. Like, real families fight. Real families got a little bit of grit in the game and can come to the other side. If somebody's too perfect, psychopath? That's what I think. A little too perfect. There must be a little psycho in there. (laughs) We're going to have some fun this morning, all right? We're doing all right? Just want us to relate. So, you know. (laughs) Um, I remember coming on to the, to the team years ago and Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, I remember them um, just sharing some wisdom with our team and they said, on this team, uh, we need you to fight and still be friends. It is unacceptable on our team to not be friends. That's easier said than done because they hire all passionate people. And they want passionate people. They want people passionate about the calling of God. They want people passionate about the church of Jesus. They want people passionate. But passionate comes with some sparks. And they said, and they taught us, they said, listen, you can go and you can fight it out because you're going to disagree. You're going to disagree about the way to do things and how to do things. But once a decision is made and you walk out that door, you better act like and be like you made that decision. And then they said, they took it up a notch, and they said, and you have to have dinner with each other that night or somewhere close. You don't get to give the stink eye to anyone. You don't get to make any room cold as ice. You're going to go in, and it's going to melt. So, so we had to learn the hard work of friendship, the hard work of getting amongst it with people. That's discipleship, people. And it's good that we learn this because that's what we're doing. We're discipling people and having real depth of connection. And my goal today, if I can be really honest with you, is two things. I want us to connect on a deeper level with God and with each other. I think that's the way that God set it up, the way life's supposed to work. 
So I realized this, that when sparks begin to fly, that actually might be the sign that there's an opportunity for a deep and meaningful relationship. I don't run from the spark. I'm like, I want to dig deeper. I want to get to the other side because if we stay committed to the course of friendship and connection, we might actually make some real friends. I think it's time to stop running when the sparks fly and brace ourselves for meaningful relationships. I'm going to ask a couple of questions, and this is going to go really fast. You might need to listen to the message later. Um, but about a year ago, I had wrote, written uh, just a post on, on Instagram, When Sparks Fly. And it was just this revelation that God had given to me. And it was kind of around my birthday. And I, I just had a birthday. And, and I was remembering the same thing, like, God, I thank you that I'm learning how to have relationships wide and deep. So many different relationships, wide and deep. And I recalled this post, and there's just some questions that I'm going to share um, with you. And it goes like uh, because I, I do believe that everyone wants in their inner core deep and meaningful relationships. So here we go. Are you guys ready? Just going to ponder these probably later, but just going to throw them out there right now, and then we're going to read the Word of God. It says, can we go deep enough to have the real, not superficial conversation? Can we lovingly point out each other's blind spots and then eat the meat, spit out the bones, instead of dissecting and discussing the meal? Can we be vulnerable enough to say what we think and mean what we say instead of doing a dance around words that go nowhere? Can we not just say we are sorry, but be sorry by taking responsibility and making a shift towards change when we mess up? Can we look for ways to be kind and nice before, during, and after sparks are exchanged? Can we confront when needed in love and then let God be judged when we are wronged? Can we approach each other with resolution and not justification in mind? Can we admit faults to one another? Can we let another person get close enough to a wound so that we can heal from what hurt us? And then I had this thought that pain is real, but it doesn't have to break your spirit and it doesn't have to turn you from each other or from God. And the greatest example of this for me in the Bible is Job and his friends, a perfect example of what it looks like when some sparks are exchanged, and yet Job could push through in his relationship with God and with people even after everything that he went through. And here's the thing about Job. This is, I'm just going to share a few truths, and I'm going to mostly concentrate on Job's friends. There's a whole lot in that story. Um, there's a lot that went on with the wife and the kids and the whole thing, but I'm going to really concentrate on kind of what happened in the relationship with friends. And Job in the Bible, it's, it's fascinating to me because Job was not privy to reading his story. <laughs> we know the end, which is amazing, but Job didn't know it when he was going through it. Because a deal was done in secret between God and the devil. There is a very real spirit world and transactions are happening. And in the spirit world, the, the devil had come from roaming the earth and he went to Jesus and they had a conversation. And this is what I find fascinating. God actually offered up Job on a silver platter to Satan. God actually said, take a look at my servant Job. I imagine there was some discourse between Satan and God, a little antagonistic maybe Satan was, and God's like, listen, 
Stop piping off. There are kids that love me and will not curse me regardless of what I give and what I take away. They love me because I'm their father and they know me as God. Take a look at my servant Job. What if sometimes when we are being attacked or oppressed, it's not because we did something wrong, but because we did something right? What a concept. The devil wants us to always think about the shameful, horrible things. But sometimes, like what happened with Job, it's that we're actually doing what God has called us to do. And just because there's a little bit of oppression and things happening, it doesn't mean that we are wrong. It might be that we're doing it right. We don't know all the details and the things of the spirit world, do we? So uh, uh, that's where kind of the story of Job begins. And I'm just going to read Job 1, 6 through 12. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and from on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? What if we led such, such a life that God puts us on display to our enemies? And he says, there is none like him on earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and he shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all the things he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has in, in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And what begins to happen from that point forward is God is like, Satan, you can mess with Job in any way you want. You can take away all the things, the hedge of protection that I have given, the, 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 that he's built a life, that he's built wealth, that he's built a family. And even if you take all of that away, I believe Job will never curse me to my face, that he will still love me. He will never leave me. What a moment. Point number one is this. Nothing should ever cause us to leave our relationship with God. Nothing should ever cause us to leave our relationship with God. Job's pain was real, but it never broke his spirit. It never caused him to lose his relationship with God. God did take away, or Satan did take away from Job. All the things you read, I don't have time to read through the whole story, but everything, I mean, his wealth was gone. His kids died. Uh, his, his, his livelihood was gone. His body was riddled with disease. At one point it says he was, he was, he was trying to, to, to make himself feel, feel better with shards of glass. Like, this is a bad day. Like, when you are stripped of everything, and not because you did anything wrong. Well, isn't that all the questions that all of us have? God, I don't understand. God, how is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is that not happening? God, help me to understand. But in those moments, the questions are okay, but it doesn't mean that we should get bitter, sad, blame God, and walk away from the God of God and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. He's good whether he gives or he takes. What a concept. 
I want us to make a decision today that you and me, like Job, will never curse God and never run from him. Job 121 says this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. How does a man get to that point? When you lose, how many of us, we've lost some things. Maybe we've lost relationships. Maybe we've lost friendships. Maybe we've lost a business. Maybe we've lost a child. Maybe we've lost something. And in those moments, us like Job, we're in the bewilderment of it all. But in that moment, can I say, do not run from him. Cling to him. Cling to Jesus, that he is good regardless. I found, you know, in relationships a lot of times, you know, oftentimes you'll hear the girl say, oh, I'm just, the number one thing I'm looking for in a man is security. That's a good thing to look for. And then men are out there making a life to provide security for the girl, right? Like, yep, that's security. And those are two admirable, that's an admirable thing, security. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that security, true security, is found in Jesus. A man or a woman who has dedicated and has a relationship with Jesus is how they provide the security. It's not the stuff that comes and goes. It's not the breakdown or the breakup. It is that they have a relationship with Jesus. And from that place is where security comes from. Security is found in Jesus. And sometimes we need to be reminded of who Jesus is when the hard times come. And God had to remind Job of that very same thing. You'll find when you read, Job is talking to God throughout his entire life story. As everything is happening, Job is speaking to to Jesus. Even when Jesus stopped speaking to him, he's like, I'm going to keep on talking. And some of the things were good and some of them were bad, but he never left Jesus. God's good for it. He's good for our hard situations and our hard moments. But then there came a point where Job continued to question God. And then all of a sudden, and we show this scene actually in the musical Twisted, where, where Ebenezer is questioning everything. And then we, we see this whirlwind and this storm. And all of a sudden, the words come out about Jesus asking some questions. And, and that scene from, from Twisted is directly from this story in the Bible in Job. It's from these verses. I'm going to read this. Job 38, 1 through 14, it says, so remember, so here is Job asking the hard questions as we should and do. And often God gives answers, but this is, this is a moment where he's questioning. And then the Lord says this, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Ever been in a whirlwind? Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside the boundaries as it bursts from the womb? 
gloom. And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here, you proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring the end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay presented beneath a seal. It is robed, robed in brilliant colors. It goes on and on. Jesus was not mean. When he spoke this to Job, he was trying to get Job to remember, as bad as your situation is, I am God. I know the end from the beginning. I know the middle from the end. I know you're in the depth of your crisis. I know your relationships are tough, but I am telling you, do not question your God. God is good. He is faithful. In the, when you look at the bigness, I felt like God was just taking Job out of the cave, out of the cave of his situation. How many of us, I went through relational breakdown, you feel like you're in a dark cave. And, and it's so brilliant when all of a sudden you start to realize the bigness of God. And when you do, that little cave begins to break open. And you see God for who he is and you cling to him. Can I get an Amen. Point number two, be careful to not misrepresent God in your pain. Be careful not to misrepresent God in your pain. Be careful that when pain hits and hurts happen, and we know that they do, that's not a place for us to minister out of. It's not okay for us to put our story on somebody else's stamp. It's not okay because something bad happened to me that it's going to happen to you. We've got to get a bigger revelation of who God is. We've got to deal with our hurts and our pains. And I'm not saying that we don't minister. I'm not saying, I'm, in my toughest days, in my hardest moments, the thing that kept me was coming to the house of God, was serving his people, was praying for other people and seeing the goodness of guys in their eyes as they began to realize who Jesus was. And it brought healing and miracles to my soul. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we've got to be careful to not minister out of pain because this is what happened with those three friends. You see, it started out good. The three friends came to Job. And I want friends like that, and I want to be a friend like that. That when I hear something bad is happening with my friend, I want to go, go in that dirt and be there for them. And this is what happened. I'll just sum it up. The three friends of, of Job. Uh, when the three friends of Job heard of the tragedy that Job had suffered, they got together, good friends, and traveled from their homes to comfort and to console him. We got to be friends like that. And here's the thing. It started out okay, but then they started to get it wrong about Job. And in their limited knowledge, his friends were convinced that Job wouldn't have been in his awful predicament if, if not for something he'd done. They said, the innocent don't suffer, they said. God rewards the good, they said. If Job would only come clean and admit his sin, he would be restored, they said. Job hiding nothing. Job had nothing to come clean about. I they got it wrong. I don't judge them because I think I'd be one of them. I really do. 
I had to have a real moment with God and go, gosh, when did I do that in my friendships? Gosh, when did I do that when somebody came to me and I, and I, I, I used the best of my knowledge and wisdom, but it wasn't you, God. How many of us have ever, you just transgress a little bit. You start out good and God, and then all of a sudden you go to your hurt and you speak out of that. God doesn't look, he doesn't like that. And, and it's a good area for me, repentance, to go, oh, God, help me to not judge. Help me in my lack of understanding to still be a good friend. And it doesn't mean that we don't give good wisdom and guidance and we're, we're scared about that. But it does mean we have a healthy fear of the Lord that we do not misrepresent him in another person's pain. In the end, God rebukes Job's friends. <laughs> And God got angry at Job's friends. It says this in Job 42, 7, 8. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Elphaz the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. Like, Jesus is blatant. He used both their names. <laughs> like, first and last. Like, so as to not be confused... <laughs> I'm going to be real clear about my wrath on what you have done. And it says, for you have not spoken of me what is right as Job has. Nice how we're not to compare to one another, but Jesus does. See there, Job? He did it right. Three buddies, you did it wrong. <laughs> I think in today's day and age, we got to get a little bit clearer. Not harsh, but clear. And it says this, for you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourself seven bull and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me of what is right as my servant Job has. Wow, what a passage. <laughs> So God rebukes the friends and says, go make an offering. Point number three, let God be judge. Let God rebuke, not me. What a moment. This story was not that Job went to the friends and said, how dare you? Let's have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Let's go through all the dirty little things you've done to me. Let's go through all the horrible things that you have said to me. Let's dissect them one by one. Never happened. You know what Job did wisely? He let God. He let God be judge. Sometimes in our relationships, we're too rash. I speak for myself. Let, give God the time to be judge. Give God the time to have his encounters with his kids. Let God meet with the people that have done you wrong. Let God judge. Let God rebuke because there's an opportunity for a healing. Sometimes we're messing around too quickly and we gotta just let go and let God. Some of us gotta keep some doors open and not closed. 
Bible says in Romans 12, 17 through 19, never repay anyone evil for evil. Take thought for what is right and gracious and proper in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave the way open for God's wrath and his judicial righteousness, for it is written in scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let's let God be judge. Let's let God have an opportunity for an encounter with the people that have wronged or hurt us. Flip it around and let God judge us. Let God prick the areas of our heart where we've been wrong and let us have an opportunity to repent. It's becomes quite difficult to judge when you understand that we don't know the whole picture. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, but I've just noticed in myself more grace than when I was younger, <laughs> less rashness than when I was younger. I'm like, let's just see what God does. Let me take a deep breath. Let God be God. Let's see what happens. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now, in the time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly, a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Now I know in part, just in fragments. But then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known by God. How stunning is that? It's just a great picture, I think, that to remind ourselves in the horrible situations, even if we think we know the whole story, we don't. We don't know what's been happening in secret behind the scenes. We don't know what hearts have gotten twisted up by the devil or been put on a platter before God. We don't know all the things God does. He knows the end from the beginning. We have to realize that right now we see blurry. So we gotta give room for God to move. Let God work behind the scenes. Uh, I think sometimes we need to realize that when we pray, God actually hears us. And he's actually doing things. There was a woman and uh, she, was, uh, she became widowed. And this is a true story. And she was raising her teenage girl. And she's like out of her like depth. And she's like, God, I didn't sign up for this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how I can't watch my daughter a hundred percent of the time. I can't control her decisions in her world. And, and her daughter had been making some really poor decisions and had really walked away from God. And this widowed woman began to pray and said, God, God, I can't be there all the time. I need you, God, to be God. I need you to send guardian angels, God, that would watch and protect my daughter when I cannot. How many of us pray prayers, you know, big ones, like God, do big things. But we got to start believing them. This young girl one night went to uh, a club and this club was a really bad club and it was known to stay, uh, to, to stay open all through the night and it was known for even leading into prostitution and all kinds of things. It was a really bad place. And her daughter and her friend had gotten full access tickets to go to this place. And they go and they're at the front door and a woman walks out with a bouncer and the woman has real dark hair, light skin and, uh, and, and she opens the door and the two girls present themselves in their passes and the woman looks and sees the one girl on the left and says, oh, I see your pass, come right in. 
And then she says to the other girl, and this is the widow's daughter, she said, you, you're not allowed in. The girl got indignant, starts putting up a scene. What do you mean? I have the exact same pass as my friend. We have the same all-access pass. Why can't she go in and I can't? And the woman stepped back and looked at her and said, because I'm a witch. And I see an angel on the left and an angel on the right of you. And I'm not letting any of you into that place. I'm telling you the prayers of a mother praying out to a God going, I can't, but you can't. God is real. Our prayers are real. There's a real spirit world where God is moving on our behalf. That daughter ran home and told that story to her mother. I say that to say, God's moving behind the scenes, even in our hurt and even in our pain. And even in our dysfunction and our messed up relationships, God is working when we give him the room to do what he does, to be God. My last point is this, point number four. We're gonna hurry, Pastor Samuel. Be repentant for your part. Forgive, pray for our friends who hurt us and still continue to be friends. That's the goal. It doesn't always happen that way. When there isn't any repentance on people's part, you can't make someone to be in healthy relationship. You got to give room for that beautiful encounter and people have a choice to make. And some of us even try to hang on to horrific relationships that have no repentance. Love me, come back to me, all the things. But, but sometimes we actually have to put up the boundary and go, actually, you need to spend some time with God. And when there's some repentance, well, then we might have an opportunity to, to reconcile. We got to stop hanging on to, to dysfunction junction that has no interest in repentance. But when, but when a person repents like Job's friends, and they came back to Job and they offered a sacrifice. Do you know what that takes? That's humbling. These friends were indignant. They really thought they were right and they weren't evil people. They just got it wrong. They just got it wrong. And when they had that moment with God, the Bible says that immediately they did as God said. And they went back to Job. It doesn't always happen in all our stories. I wish they would. But when they do, can I ask this? Don't make it hard. Don't make it hard for that humble person that realized they were wrong. Don't make them. I, I, I had a friend one time, and it was a difficult relationship. And I remember after kind of just some disagreements, she had said to me, you, you have to earn my trust. And it was this long list of things. And I just went, yeah, I can't commit to that. Like, love you, want to be friends with you. Like, I'm here for it but I can't agree to, to all that. Like she made it so difficult. Can we be on the other side and just make it easy? Job did. Do you know what the Bible says? It's amazing. Job 42, nine through 11. So Elahaz, the, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuite, and so far the Naphtha. I got all those names wrong. Just read for yourselves in the Bible, okay? All those three friends went and did as the Lord commanded them for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when, somebody say when. When, when he prayed for his friends. 
Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all those that had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate the food with him in his house. And they consoled him and they comforted him for all of the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one of them gave a piece of silver and each one gave him gold. I'm telling you. How magnificent. Job, what a man. My respect. Could you imagine the friends that hurt you when you were down in the dirt and they kicked you? That Job is such a man. Do you know that he didn't pray from afar from his pretty little house and go, God, forgive them. These people came to him. He had to look at them in the eyes. He had to look at them in the eyes. And when he prayed, So they came, they offered sacrifice, and he prays for them. When was the last time we laid our hand on a person and we prayed for a person that hurt us? And he extends, he has to touch them. He has to look at them in the eye. He has to really be a friend. You can't fake that. You can fake friendship from afar. You can't fake it face to face. He looked at him in the eyes and he prayed. And when he prayed, when he prayed, everything. God had it set up that way already. And I'm sure God would have restored him in a lot of different ways. But it's fascinating to me that when Job was able to look at these friends that had done him wrong and he prayed for them and then he takes it up a notch and he opens up his house and he says, come on over for dinner. And we're going to celebrate together. I'm telling you, we may need to reassess some relationships in our life. We may need to let God be God. And we may need to not put walls up in our heart and instead bring the walls down, soften up our heart real good, and let some people that have hurt us come back in and don't make them grovel to do it. They were able to really be friends. And the Lord restored all. When we go through pain and hurt with each other, we need to invite God into the process. We need to allow God to deepen our relationship with each other and with God. And you know, in the Bible, I find this, I'll end on this. It's fascinating in Job 42, five, it says, Job saying this, I have heard of you by hearing of the ear but now my eyes see you. When you go through a relational crisis and you stick it out after the sparks flew and there is restoration that happens, you go from hearing who God is to God, I had to cling to you in such a way that it was like you physically being there. That's how much I can now see you is when I go through a crisis. I now don't just hear of the goodness of God. I know the goodness of God. I don't hear about the greatness of God. He was great to me. You go from hearing to seeing God face to face. You go to hearing from seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living. You get to see God. I'm telling you, when we reach down deep, when we got hurt real bad and whether it works out or it doesn't can God be God can we praise him all the more can we stand to our feet come on let's give a praise to God because he is good because he deserves our praise
such a place that I am like that word, come what may. Oh, God, you give or you take away. You answer my prayer or you don't. And God answers. But sometimes it looks very different. Sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> what a thought. Whether God or when God comes through, and even if he doesn't, though I know he will, oh, yet will I praise him. Yet will I love him. If you want to see God, forgive someone who hurt you. You want to see God, forgive him. Forgive him all that pain. Forgive him all the hate. Forgive him all the hurt. Forgive him all the things that they have done and said. And let me tell you this, church, all of us at different times in our life will be misrepresented and misunderstood. That is not the aim of the game. I'm over it. I don't need to be right. I need to have God be my restorer. God represent me well. I am not chasing. I'm not doing my own PR service. I'm not trying to be right. I am just trying to cling to God, to stay Christian in a difficult time, to love him and to love one another at a deeper level. And if this has touched you in some way, if it's time for you just to, to, to bring some, hey, you know what, Stacey, this has brought up some areas of forgiveness in my own heart. Would you just begin to pour out to the front? Just have some time with God. I'm just gonna pray. Oh Lord, oh Lord, just come out. God wants to heal the hurting places of your heart. God set up relationships. He set it up that we would be in relationship with God and with man. It is not enough that we are in relationship with God. It was it wasn't enough for Adam, and it's not enough for us. He set it up that we would be in relationship with one another. And I'm telling you, some of us need to get so big on the inside. Some of us need to really dig deep and have some courage to ask for forgiveness, to have some courage to expand our heart to the people that have hurt us. Oh God, oh God. Lord, we praise you. Just close your eyes. Lift your hands to heaven they're on the altar or in the seat. God restored Job and he lived 140 years and he saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. When we do the hard work of friendship, when we do the hard work of relationship, when we do the hard work of our connection with God, when we don't leave nor we forsake, what if we too can see down the legacy and the eyes of eternity, generation and generation that follows up because my granddaddy, because my grandma, because my pastor, because my leader, because my friend lived in such a way at the bigness of a heart that it changed our family line, that we now saw generational health instead of generational dysfunction. God is so good. He knows just how to bless us, doesn't he? He knows how to bring favor on our lives. God, oh God, Lord, we praise you for you are good and your mercies are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, oh God, to us. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we forgive the people that have wronged us. We forgive and if we've done the wrong, oh God, meet with us. Show us how to make it right. Oh Lord, our end game is not rightness. It's in love with you. Oh Lord, we praise you. 
Oh, God, we give you glory. Lord, I thank you, God, for a magnificent church, for such beautiful people that would take the time out of their day to connect with you, that would, would open their hearts to receive of you, Jesus. Oh, God, I thank you that they are known by you, and they will be known by each other, and the mark on their life and the stamp on their life will be love and kindness and tender mercies the way that you are, God. We are made in your image. We are made in your likeness, and we bind the works of the enemy right now. We break every curse from the pit of hell that has tried to stifle our relationships and stifle the health in our lives. We say to you, shame be gone in the name of Jesus. We say to you, offense and jealousy be gone in the name of Jesus. We bind the work of the enemy, and we thank you, oh God, that today a new standard has been risen up. Lord, we thank you, God, that we will look at you higher and bigger than any search situation that we face. We praise you in this place. Amen, amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.